Hello and welcome back to Willie Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Mazzell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we're back with number 35 on the list, 1977's Annie Hall. Annie Hall. It's our first Woody Allen film. Is there more than one on this list? No, but it's also still our first. Well, I guess so. (laughs) Have you seen any Woody Allen films before? I have, including this one. I have not. This is my first. Unsurprising. Why? Because you've seen nothing. (laughs) Well, I've seen at least 65 films now. True. That is true. Ethan, why don't we do a plot synopsis and then dive into this movie? Let's do it right away. Uh, So here we go. Annie Hall is the story of comedian Alvy Singer and singer annie hall she's a singer his last name is singer his sometimes girlfriend alvy is neurotic and anxious and annie is free-spirited and pleasant the film is non-linear beginning with the two of them meeting for a movie which annie is a little late for alvy insists that they see the sorrow and the pity instead because she's been late and he cannot watch the movie with it already starting that evening annie refuses sex with alvy and they instead discuss his previous marriages in comparison to his ex-wives annie is light-hearted and open and the two have a lot of fun together in non-linear fashion the film showcases their meeting playing tennis their first dates and later their escalating romance annie moves in with alvy though he's increasingly reluctant Annie becomes familiar with her college professor, which alarms Alvy, even though he had been the one pushing her to go back to college. They break up shortly after, and Alvy begins dating again, but does not enjoy it. During one of Alvy's late-night sexual encounters, Annie calls him, begging him to come to her apartment due to an emergency. The emergency, of course, is a spider in her bathroom and after he kills it she confesses that she misses him the two get back together but they still have issues they fly to la so that alvy can give an award on a television show but he falls ill quote unquote ill and on the flight back he and annie break up annie then moves to la and begins dating her producer alvy flies to la to meet annie and proposes but she refuses him He then begins working on a play back in New York, which is obviously inspired by their romance. In his play, at the end, the Annie character gets back with the Alvy character. The two have a final meeting in New York after they both have moved on, and the meeting is amiable. Alvy insists in voiceover that love is essential, though in the final scene, he seems to wistfully see Annie off. So that final moment they have in New York is actually... A summary, right? We don't actually see it in scene necessarily. Yes. yes. Kind of like a montage at the end. Yes. And that final scene in New York is also the film debut of my girlfriend, Sigourney Weaver. Right. Sigourney Weaver is the one outside, which I never would have known unless the helpful cast feature in Amazon hadn't told me that. Yeah, I wouldn't have known either. Did you watch this on Amazon? Did you pay for it on Amazon? Yeah. Was that a mistake? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Oh, well. (laughs) I got all the unhelpful commentary from the IMDb trivia. Well, there you go. Which, you know, I try not to rely on it, and we only really mention it if we try to vet the source gives it. But the things in this were significantly unhelpful in this film. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned your favorite person, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, my God. Jeff Goldblum is in this film. I know. Paul Simon, uh, who I also love, is in this film. Um, the woman, his first wife, uh, 
Alvy's first wife. I can't remember her name. Carol Kane. Carol Kane. I love her. Um, who else is in this movie? Uh, Shelley Duvall is in this movie. She, we've we've had her on the podcast before. Not had her on the podcast, but she's been in a film on the podcast Wait, before. she hasn't been a guest host on the podcast for us? <laughs> well, well, I don't know how much you know about Shelley Duvall, but uh, she would be a wild guest on the podcast because she's uh, not – I don't think she's well. <laughs> well, that fits very perfectly in this film as no one is well in this movie. No, I don't really think so. You characterized Annie as lighthearted, free-spirited, but she's got her own package of neuroses as well. Yeah, she's got she has a lot of anxiety uh, as well, but it does not manifest nearly in the same way that it does with Alvy. No, you're right. But on top of that, I think her level of unwellness fluctuates, whereas Alvy, mm. you pretty much know what he is from the start, and that maintains throughout the film. Yeah, definitely. Do you like this film, Ethan? You know, I when I saw it years and years ago, I did not really care for it. I didn't really get it. I really enjoyed it a lot more this time around. But so much of my viewing is colored by the fact that uh, Woody Allen is not a good person, and so there were some there were a lot of weird sexual things that I was like, oh, knowing what we know about him now, it do, it didn't doesn't really resonate but i but i do on the whole if we if we take that out of the out of the picture um yeah i mean i think it's a pretty enjoyable film i think it's a lot of fun it's got like like i said there's some other stuff too that hasn't aged necessarily well but 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 overall it's 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 pretty enjoyable without jumping too far ahead of ourselves i'm not sure i had a particularly good time with this film <laughs> And I think we can sum this up in our pivotal scene. Okay, do it. So the scene I picked is about 52 minutes in. It is what you mentioned in your plot synopsis where they break up and he is about to go see Shelley Duvall, right? He's about to have his additional experiences with women, but it's immediately after he drives away and he's just like talking to people on the street Mm -hmm. and then there's a cartoon suddenly happening. Yes, yes. So I've selected most of this. I cut out part of the cartoon, but... Let's take a listen, and then we'll be back. Adult education is such junk. The professors are so phony. How can you do it? I don't care what you say about David. He's a perfectly David, fine David, teacher. David, and what are you doing following me around for anyway? I'm following I you think and David. If this relationship quit. That's fine. That's fine. That's great. Well, I don't know what I did wrong. I mean, I can't believe this. Somewhere she cooled off to me. Is, is, is it something that I did? Never something you do. That's how people are. Love fades. Love fades. God, that's a depressing thought. I, I, I have to ask you a question. Don't go any further. With your wife in bed, does she need some kind of artificial stimulation like like marijuana we use a large vibrating egg large vibrating egg well i ask a psychopath i get that kind of an answer cheeses i i here you you look like a very happy couple um are you yeah yeah so so how, how do you account for it uh i'm very shallow and empty and i have no ideas and nothing interesting to say and i'm exactly the same way I see. Well, that's very interesting. So you've managed to work out something, huh? Right. Oh, well, thanks very much for talking to me. (sighs) You know, even as a kid, I always went for the wrong women. I think that's my problem. When my mother took me to see Snow White, everyone fell in love with Snow White. I immediately fell for the Wicked Queen. We never have any fun anymore. How can you say that? Why not? You're always leaning on me to improve myself. You're just upset. You must be getting your period. 
period. I'm a cartoon character. Can I be upset once in a while? So the thing that I'm not incredibly sold on with this film is just the level of Alvy's neuroses, plural, right? Yeah, and well, and, and Alvy, not only is he neurotic, I mean, he's kind of a scumbag. Yeah. I mean, one of his first lines is, they show up at the theater, and she's not happy, and he says, you must be on your period. Right, which becomes a, a, a mantra for him. He says it like two or three more times. Yeah, he says it to the Wicked Witch character in the cartoon that you just listened to. Mm-hmm. But what I think this is telling me is that, you know, while I think it's pretty clear that Annie Hall is an important film in just our history and contemporary moment, a lot of media seems to revolve around it. And we'll talk about that in our three questions. I just don't find it enjoyable to watch. And it also makes me kind of feel complicit in all of Alvy's neuroses. And it just feels like a, like a bad trip. And, the, you know, I think the film encourages that feeling of complicity because it's it's essentially alvi telling the story to us in fourth wall breaking monologues yeah he's like hey can you believe this and and i think that this film is is more pleasant to watch if you understand from the beginning that he's a scumbag and that he's he's just not a good guy and so you if you're not rooting for him then I think it becomes a much more enjoyable film. Well, I think that's where it gets complicated for me again, because all the stuff I read about this film is that it's heavily autobiographical. Woody Allen said that it's not as biographical as everybody thinks it is, but of course he would say that because he wrote and directed it. Yeah, I just I think I was reading the um, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert, yeah. And that's what he was saying, and I tend to believe what, what yeah, he said. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, and, and obviously there are some pretty heavily autobiographical elements in there. And for what it's worth, Woody Allen is a scumbag. I mean, he's not a good guy. So what's this about? Because I feel like this is a game you have to play these days. It's like, okay, why is this person bad? Hollywood edition. And I just, I'm just not, I'm just not up on this. So what is what is Woody Allen done? Well, Woody Allen. The, the the big scandal that sort of surrounds Woody Allen is the fact that he and I think this is when he was married to uh, Mia Farrow uh, adopted they adopted a, a daughter from uh, overseas I don't remember exactly where and you know she was some sort of orphan and they adopt her and she was fairly she was pretty young but old enough to you know she wasn't like a child child but she was still young and basically he leaves his wife for his adopted daughter now i don't think that he ever actually officially adopted her but i think mia farrow did it so from what i understand he basically leaves mia farrow for their adopted daughter um and she may have been underage at the time it's pretty gross is this the one that he was accused of sexually assaulting uh no i think he was accused of sexually assaulting somebody else and I'm pretty sure he's accused of doing some abusive shit. I don't remember if it was sexual or not with some of the children that he, they may not have been his children. They may have been children from other marriages there, but there were, he was married so many times. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty much understood that he's got a taste for the young women, which is pretty gross. Um, and that he's 
an abuser of many kinds. Again, I he, I don't think he's ever been prosecuted for any of that stuff. Um, but it's I think it's widely understood that he's an abusive person uh, in many ways. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly verbally abusive. His character is, and if it depends on how far you read into the autobiographical or not element of that. I think. Yeah, he's definitely dated underage women. He got married. He was 20 and got married to a woman who was 17. That was the first of the 17-year-olds that he was involved with. During Annie Hall, there was a woman he was involved with who appears to have been 17. There was the whole thing with Mia Farrow and her daughter. And, of course, I think he's still married to... The the, the woman's name is Sun-Yu Previn. Sun-Yi Previn. She's from soul there's a lot of not good sexual stuff with woody allen okay well i mean i think we've done our due diligence to just let people know here's the situation and you know come to your own conclusions about it but returning to the film a bit just being around aldi's character i find unsettling and it's because i think it's because he's so self-centered so totalizingly self-centered that Mm -hmm. everything revolves around him and now he's got a film and a fourth wall to make all of us complicit in that and to to kind of reinforce the idea of his self-centeredness so when they're waiting in the theater line and there's the guy behind him talking and he's like oh this is so annoying and he actually pulls the figure i don't know if it was a a literary person or a film person well yeah yeah, Marshall McLuhan, uh, he's he's the the academic famous for um, for uh, saying uh, the oh shit I I teach this and now I'm gonna bungle it because I'm on the spot uh, the me- the medium is the message he's also famous for saying the medium is the massage as well <laughs> does he actually he actually did yeah he had a lot of fun he he played a lot with words and. Uh, and all that. So he he's a, a media uh, academic. So he talks a lot about hot media, cold media, right? So television is uh, is is hot media, and things like books are cool media, based on. And of course, this is all debatable. Uh, but it has to do with how much uh, input you put into it, right? So when you go see a film, it just washes over you. Actually, so maybe it is cool media, and then a book you have to be involved in when as you're reading it. There's you know, and so it's hot media or whatever. I may I may have it back and forth. Well, he gets the benefit of having that guy tell the other guy he's wrong. So it just kind of reinforces Alvy's self-centeredness and the whole walking down the street yes. and having everyone talk to him and reinforce his ideas. And even in that scene that we listened to, he asked the, the guy about the sexual stimulation question. Right. And the guy gives him what seems to be a pretty honest answer. And since it's not what Alvy's looking for, he just dismisses him as a psychopath and keeps walking. Right. He calls him a psychopath. I think you're right. The, the world that Woody Allen creates here is one in which, uh, you know, Alvy is the center of it. Again, I, I think that the film hits a lot better if we understand that, like, we are seeing the world through Alvy's eyes and he's fucked up. Like, he's not a good person. We really shouldn't necessarily sympathize or empathize with him. And, you know, this is a sort of world of his own crafting, right? Like, he doesn't get what he wants in this relationship because because of himself, not because of anything anybody else does, right? It's all, you know, he sinks the 
the relationship. He's the one who, you know, the reason his marriages fail, right, is because he's so obsessed with, you know, one, being self-centered, and two, uh, you know, refusing to change in any way, shape, or form for basically anyone. Yeah, I get that. I just, I don't know if I want to watch a movie that does that necessarily. Well, thankfully, it's only like an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very short film. There also seems to be a pretty sharp condemnation of psychoanalysis in this film. Mm -hmm. Because all the advice they're getting from their therapist seem to be utterly terrible. And it makes them speak in psychoanalytic terms to one another. And they just become these horrible caricatures of themselves when they're Mm -hmm. doing this. And... And I wonder if the, I, you know, I assume that's intentional, but it's just another layer to the self-centeredness and incompatibility of all these characters together. Mm-hmm. Ethan, do you think we should turn to our three questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, but before we do, here's an ad from Anchor. Oh, oh get ready. We are back, and now it's time for some questions. First yes. question, Ethan. Yes. What do we owe to this film? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that films like 500 Days of Summer or some of the other uh, romantic comedies that we've watched that that are post this film uh, are in debt to it, right? A lot of this sort of, you know, nonlinear split screen, fourth wall breaking, I don't know, not really, I guess zaniness even is maybe a way we could do it or way we could uh, put it. I think we owe a lot of that to this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I had 500 Days of Summer here pretty top of the list for what Mm -hmm. do we owe. It uses a lot of the same film techniques, right? There's a lot of, well, things I really hadn't seen too much in film in this film. Besides the simple fourth wall breaking, you also have subtitles playing under dialogue of these characters who are trying to interact and you get what they're really thinking right, yeah and what they're actually saying which is kind of confusing at first because i had subtitles on and so those are playing <laughs> over my subtitles and i was very confused initially but i think that's something we see very similar in 500 days of summer also the trajectory of the film where we begin with the ending we know that this relationship doesn't work out and right. the entire film is really like a post-mortem of a relationship very yeah. much like 500 Days of Summer. We also have those those headshot interviews. You know, mm. the Aldi character does at the very beginning of the film. That's also something that happens in 500 Days of Summer. So I, I think that's a very clear connection there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even some of this nonlinear stuff we could maybe trace to uh, something like Pulp Fiction. Um, because it's very prominent here. Uh, yeah, I think that a lot of... Uh, romantic comedy sort of things take a little bit from this um, or at least are influenced in some small way, you know, by by this movie. I also think we see a lot of Seinfeld in this. Oh, definitely. I think Seinfeld gets the neurosis to comedy level much more correct. Mm -hmm. And I think Curb Your Enthusiasm, obviously the two are very connected, Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I think Curb Your Enthusiasm leans more toward this film than Seinfeld does. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, it has a lot to do, I think, with, you know, the city of New York, you know, being Jewish in New York, comedians, right, as as main characters. Absolutely. That's that's what's going on here. 
also the kind of comedy, right? That there's yeah. something about the world these characters fail to understand or mm. take small things and blow them up out of proportion. And the comedy is in how out of proportion things are. Right, definitely. What about does this film hold up? In a lot of, I mean, if you take it straight, no. I mean, if you take it straight, there there are a lot of things that are really outdated and that just aren't good. <laughs> things we don't say or do. I mean, you know, it, it has a lot to do with Woody Allen's character being a scumbag. I think that if you if you're willing to to let some of that go, or or to understand that you know, or to read the character as a scumbag and that we we don't really like him, then I think a lot of it, a lot of that sort of goes away but i but i think there is a lot of it is very dated it is very 70s um that doesn't mean that it's not still entertaining in some ways or that it wouldn't necessarily like i think this would still play well with audiences to in a lot of ways just based on the way it's cut the way it's scripted but there's a lot of shit in there that's just not it's just not cool. The, the, you know, the period joke over and over. And Well, I don't know if it's even supposed to be a joke. I think maybe we're just supposed to understand him as a scumbag. Like, even then, I don't know. I think that visually this is fine. I think we talked about this last week with yeah. The Bridge and the River Kwai, how I think these 70s films hold up a lot better, certainly the ones in color, than like the 50s films, the ones in color. Mm-hmm. So I think visually it's fine. I think... The comedy didn't hit with me. And, you know, I'm definitely seeing Alvy as a scumbag throughout the entire film. But it's kind of like some of the earlier episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the characters are a little too much in the like mm-hmm. unlikable category, where it just mm-hmm. makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to watch it. And I think that's something that gets dialed back in later seasons. But I feel like this film hits that same place for me, where it's just too much of the neuroses too much of the unlikability that it's hard for me to engage with the stuff around it and i and i do think that the film is at its funniest when it gives its jokes to characters that are not alvy uh, yeah i i would agree with that i think very early on they've got him in his childhood school and the kids are all saying where they're where they're at now these days and the kids, <laughs> i was a heroin addict now i'm a methadone addict and the last one is just a girl that says i'm into leather just very straight faced <laughs> i think that's really funny also when they're packing up and breaking up very formally they're going through all of his buttons and they're like impeach every president in order right. and it just kind of shows how Alvi, you know, thinks he's got these convictions, but it's really just the kind of the same thing in a new shell every time. Mm-hmm. I think some of the mo- funniest moments are 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 in those where they're they're not sitting on him always trying to crack a joke, right? There's so many jokes that he's trying to put. It's like a stand-up special, rapid fire. When they're talking about the spider. It's like four, five, six jokes, you know, just mm-hmm. boom, 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 and they're usually to denigrate another character, right? To make yeah. fun of them in some way. And so I don't think they play as comedy for me, even though they are actually jokes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay. Then our final question, do we care about this film? Uh, you know, I, I, I think we have to, all the other uh, not-so-good things aside, I think we kind of have to. It is really influential. You know, this is really the film, aside from The Godfather, that, you know, sort of launches Diane Keaton. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, this really, this launches Diane Keaton, uh, you know, into 
what becomes, you know, uh, the sort of characters she'll play for a large portion of her career. As far as I can tell, you know, I've, I've seen more Diane Keaton films where she is similar to Annie Hall, more similar to Annie Hall than her Godfather character. Mm hmm. And so I think that, you know, just for that fact, plus, I mean, this is incredibly star-studded for what it's worth. Um, and I think that it, it just has an influence on comedy, whether it's television or or, or film. It, it has an influence that I think has not gone away. I think that, it that you know, like like you pointed out, it's, there are a lot of genes that we see later in Seinfeld. And, like, that's undeniable and important. Yeah, and I tend to agree that, this is something that's been very influential on a bunch of creators in a lot of different media. And I think that's hard to deny. I think a lot of the consensus is that this is Woody Allen at his best. And I can see why so many people pick up on threads he's dealing with throughout this film. I just think it's a little too much in what it's doing in the neuroses department either intentionally or unintentionally. And so it's hard for me to watch, but it's also hard for me to deny that this is an important film. And so I, you know, I, I think that's a weird situation for me to be in and sort of an ambivalence, but maybe it's a begrudging respect for this film that I have to end on. Yeah. And, and I think you're right by saying that it's Woody Allen at, at, at his best. I've seen a, a couple other Woody Allen films and this is by far the best one that I've seen. Now I've only seen maybe three or four other ones, uh, and he's got a lot of them, but this is better than some of the other ones I've seen. <laughs> well, Ethan, I think we'll have to wrap it up there. But before we go, we should look ahead two weeks from now. We'll be back on the AFI Top 100 watching number 34 on the list, Snow White. Snow White. Mentioned in this film. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be there for that. But until then, I've been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. You know, I don't know. I just, I was talking to my psychoanalyst and they told me there will be spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight. And that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.